Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. Well, hey there, good morning. Welcome to East Lake. My name is Brandon, I'm the teaching pastor here. And if this is your first time, you picked a great day to come us out. We are on part one of a new series, new teaching series kicking off uh, for this month. New month, new series, whatever. The series is called Per My Last Email. Uh, it's going to be a series on grace because if, if you work with coworkers or have ever corresponded with a customer service agent from your bank because you're like, I didn't make this charge. This isn't me. And they're like, well, we're going to need to see some documentation. You send stuff and they send it back and they're like, we need some documentation. You're like, per my last email, I just sent that to you, right? And so uh, that's, uh, that's been kind of the case. And so you've probably seen uh, some sort of a, a thing, you know, in, in this, we've all been here where we say, dear... So and so, per my last email, uh, which is code for, I sent it, you missed it, uh, you didn't read it, um, you read it and disregarded it, or you ignored it uh, altogether, which leads me to uh, assume a couple of things. You're either inept, ignorant, or an idiot. And they all start with I. And it has nothing to do with me, it has everything to do with you, right? Uh, Inept, ignorant, or an idiot, and then you follow it up with, please circle the correct answer and respond at your convenience. Um, and, uh, and then we kind of go from there. Um, that's, that's kind of a, a little bit about how we uh, do things. Per my last email is our weak attempt sometimes at grace. Um, we, we, we look at this and we like, I don't know what to do with you. So I'm gonna offer you a little bit of grace and it's gonna be twinged with a little bit of sarcasm, a little bit of irony, a little bit of, uh, of something. I'm gonna give you a small out, but I am gonna shame you for it on the way out. So uh, that's what we mean when we say uh, per my last email. I've also been on the receiving end uh, of some of these uh, types of emails. And uh, if, you've ever, if you've ever received one of these and, and somebody has per my last emailed you and you've been like, oh my God, I'm so sorry that I missed it. I look back now and I realize you did say this already. That's my bad. So you have two options there. You can say one, I'm, I'm so sorry. It's been, then you can be like, oh, it's been a heck of a week. If you knew my week, if you knew my schedule, if you knew what came up this week or whatever. So then you kind of downplay it with that. Or you say, hmm, let me check my spam folder, right? That's always a fun one. They say, per my last email, and you go, I think it might be in my spam folder. Sometimes when I get emails from a-holes, it ends up there before I even see it. So I have a spam folder called emails from a-holes. Maybe if you weren't such a, then we wouldn't have to be here. So per my last email, it's kind of your fault a little bit, right? So anyways, that can sort of happen uh, in how things work. But um, so this has been, uh, this is going to be uh, a series on grace. I think we're going to go, uh, I don't know, five, six weeks, something like this, because th- there's a lot of material to be able to cover. Uh, but grace, if we could like define it, and, and I know that it might sh- you know, show up differently in different uh, dictionaries or whatever, but in the way that we're going to use it for the sake of this series is going to be defined in uh, this way. It's what I crave most when my guilt has been exposed. When I do something I know isn't great, and I, I'm working through and processing through uh, internal, external guilt. Grace is what I uh, want the most from you. I, I, I want it the most from you. And it's on, on the flip side, it's the very thing I'm hesitant to extend when I'm confronted with the guilt of other people. I want it the most when I need it, and I'm super hesitant to extend it when somebody else needs it from me, especially when their guilt has robbed me of something I consider to be valuable. valuable. So that's gonna be 
our working definition of what grace looks and sort of feels like for the context uh, of this series. When we're on the receiving end of, uh, of grace, it's very refreshing. Uh, when, when somebody offers it to us and we, we know we don't deserve it and, and yet they, they do it anyways, there's, there's a sense of, uh, of loyalty, allegiance, of I owe you. Um, I'm so thankful. Uh, thank you for reversing that charge. It was my fault. I missed it. I'm late. It, it, was, it was on me. I'm not gonna blame the postal system. I'm not gonna blame my bank. It was me. I just didn't think that it was, you know, I thought I'd already taken care of and I, and I found it a, f- a few weeks late and, and yet you reversed the charge. Thank you so much, refreshing. Uh, and when it's required of us, when somebody asks us for grace, uh, it's on the opposite end of that. It can be disturbing. And you have, uh, you can probably think of a dozen times in the last year when you've been the recipient of undeserved grace. And I say undeserved as if there, you know, there was an alternative and there is no alternative. There is no such thing as deserved uh, grace. And, and yet we've all been on the receiving end of undeserved grace. I was supposed to pay extra and I got off the hook. It was my turn to take a shift with the baby and she got up instead. I was the one who got scheduled for the overtime. I forgot to put in the vacation request. Somebody covered me at work. Uh, It's not just kindness. All grace includes kindness, but grace goes beyond just kindness. You cannot earn it. Uh, You cannot uh, get to a spot where it's deserved. And uh, earn and grace are essentially a contradiction in terms. Grace is birthed from hopeless inequity. Hopeless inequity. Grace is the offer of exactly what we do not deserve. It can't be recognized or received until we're precisely aware of how undeserving we truly are when it comes to receiving grace. It's the knowledge of what we do not deserve that allows us to receive grace for what it is, which is unmerited, unearned, and undeserved. That's grace at its core. So with that, that's what we're gonna talk about for the next couple of weeks. I'm really excited uh, to do this. I was looking back at my preaching calendar. I have a little file uh, folder, an Excel spreadsheet on my computer that I've kept since day one uh, of launching this church back in 2010. Every series we've ever done, not like the content of it, but the title of it and the, like the theme behind it. You know, we do a series title and then it's like a series on grace, a series on love, a series on family matters or something like that. Um, I went back through and the only series that I've ever done that had grace somewhere in the title of it was a series called Free. And we did it back in 2012 and it was really grace and redemption. It wasn't even really a series specifically on grace. And so, and and, uh, that's why I'm like, okay, this is good. Like we get to talk about this for an extended period of time. And I haven't talked about this before. Um, Even though I feel like it's been an undercurrent of who we are as a church and what I want to be either aspire to or live out as a church. And so, and even when I came up with this, this title, because a topic as big as grace, you need a really great title. And so when I came up with this per my last email or somebody had said that to me, we were talking in conversation. I thought that would be a great series title. And so then Eric did all the graphic work for this and got this thing ready to kind of be looked the way that it is. And uh, I sent this out to, I'm, I'm a part of a, a network of church planner guys who are planning churches all, all over. There's like 15 of us on this text string. You've got text strings with friends from college or whatever, right? And things that happen on the text string stay on the text string typically, except for this. I sent this out and I said, hey guys, if you're looking for a great series, uh, here's, the, here's the promo, here's the look, here's the, the vibe on it. And we're, we're doing the, this deal. And my, my buddy, Jeremiah, who's one of our external elders, who's spoken on video here several times, uh, he's out of uh, uh, Minnesota, um, said, man, sounds like a great series. Who's preaching it for you? Um, and I said, ah, aha, I get it. Based on the fact that I have so little grace in that text string, 
for anybody else. You're part of those texturing. Somebody misspeaks or says something wrong, how fast are we to jump on them? You know what I mean? And, and do that and mock them for, for you know, saying something incorrectly or, or, or laughing at them. They got, a, they got a picture. He posted a, somebody posted a picture of him as his birthday. It was Jeremiah's birthday the other day. They posted a picture of him when he was like probably 11 years old, right? And he's got the big old glasses. He's got the teeth that are going all, pointing all the different directions. And, and I said, uh, I said, the only thing more crooked than Jeremiah's teeth is the way his church handles their finances. And so that, <laughs> that garnered this thing. So when he said, <laughs> which is pretty harsh, we all in love, smiley faces, kisses, all the emojis that kind of balance that thing out. And so uh, then when he said, uh, who's teaching it for you? I said, my wife is, it's going to be a 16 part series on, on grace. She has lots of experience uh, with that. So anyways, I don't know, maybe she will preach part of it, but uh, for the rest of it, it's going to be uh, me anyways. Um, as I said, I think it's an important topic to talk about in general. And I think it's important because I want Eastlake, and I think Eastlake is, uh, has an undercurrent of grace in uh, a, a lot of the things uh, that we do. Um, and I, it is slightly ironic that we haven't talked about it because I think most, if anybody's in our community who's in the religious circle, but not in our religious circle, I think they would label us as a grace at the expense of truth sort of church, just perception uh, for, for, for things. And that, that's kind of the spectrum a lot of people are on. You have grace on one side and truth on the other. Um, and uh, it, you can either fall into you know, grace at the expense of truth or sometimes truth. You've been a part of churches or seen churches or no churches where it's like truth at the expense of grace, right? Um, and the ideal is to be somewhere between the two things and, and a healthy balance of both of those. When Jesus is talked about in John chapter one, John the apostle describes Jesus as someone who, has, who had the fullness of both grace and truth. He had grace in, in overlooking a lot of different things, but then also he had the ability to speak truth uh, to them out of love. And, and sometimes even that truth can be a, a place of grace because you're not allowing them to continue to destroy themselves. And so it's like this hard balance. I don't wanna be a church that's all grace. I wanna be a healthy balance of the two. But here's what I do know as well that if it comes down to it, if, if I'm gonna lean in one area, because you can't, as much as you try and be like Jesus, like we all know we're imperfect, right? And so there's no way we could live like that exactly. Even though that's the target and the aspirational piece, we're gonna fall in one way or the other. And I've chosen personally to fall on the side uh, of grace. And that may be where you line up. That might, be, uh, might not line up with you. And you would appreciate more truth coming out from a position of somebody like me. And that's been like a thing you're trying to work through in terms of deciding if Isaac's gonna be home for you. That's totally fine with me. I just think that the church uh, is most appealing when the, uh, or I came across a quote a, a while back of, of this, this idea that the church is most appealing when the message of grace is most apparent. And I read that about 10 years ago, right when we were planning the church. And I thought that's so true. The church has had a complicated history uh, with, with grace um, and, um, and, and truth. And we have a lot of truth at the expense of grace churches. And um, if I was going to lean one way, it, it would be uh, that way. And when you read the New Testament, the only thing Jesus stood against consistently was graceless religion, right? The only group he attacked uh, relentlessly was graceless religious leaders, that he almost like never had any sort of um, benefit of the doubt, he just would be like, guys, this, grace has to be a part of this. I, and, and so for me, how do, you, how do you deal with the fullness of grace and truth and, with Jesus and, and lean towards grace and allow truth to be kind of um, something that, that isn't presented as strongly or it, it leans, leans away from it? My, my personal takeaway is 
I, I believe that the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of every believer is that conviction of truth, that you oftentimes don't respond to <laughs> truth from other people because you don't believe in their authority as much or you, I, don't know the, I don't know the situation surrounding your, con, you know, your context or whatever. And so I've chosen to say grace and the Holy Spirit leads in the, in the area of conviction. And, and truth needs to be a part of that. I can't just lean one way to the other, but that's the, the, the thought. So anyways, from a church standpoint, that's kind of how this navigates. But... I think it's critical as we discover and start our conversation about grace. So now that I've kind of explained what it is and where we kind of find ourselves or fit on the spectrum of this, even though we aspire to be perfect like Jesus, we're gonna fall in a certain way, so which way we're gonna lean. Um, then it's important to kind of lay some ground rules and some foundational work when it comes to grace. And it starts with the understanding that grace did not begin with Jesus. Grace, uh, even though he's the fullness of grace and truth, that it goes beyond that, that there was something before that. Um, that, that. There can be something that is the perfect expression of it, but it doesn't have to start with that, right? Like I grew up watching King Griffey Jr. as a Mariner and, and some of you, that was my, I used to sit by the radio and just like listen to him, you know, or listen to them talk about him. And then you get to watch him on screen and go see him at the kingdom or do whatever. And his swing the perfect swing didn't begin with Griffey, but he was, you know, swinging a baseball bat didn't, uh, didn't start with Griffey. Everybody swung baseball bats before that, but he swung it in a different way. You know that, right? Amen? All right, anyway, I don't do amens, but uh, it, like when you watch that, I, I, you can if you want, but uh, you'll be pretty lonely here. Um, but like when you watch it, you're like, that's different. Like that's the, that's, there's an expression of that that's like nobody's ever done it like that before. So grace didn't begin with Jesus, even though he's the perfect expression of it. Like it's, it's wrong to associate the idea that grace, the grace of God only began with the expression of Jesus. Jesus is the perfect icon of who God was, as Paul's gonna write about in Colossians, but it didn't begin with Jesus. In Jesus, there's no conflict between grace and truth. In our misunderstanding of grace, we tend to think that any leniency that grace provides is the sacrifice of the truth. And Jesus understood something significantly. Grace acknowledges the full implications of sin, but does not condemn. He would hold, he would draw lines in the sand, invite people to, you know, well, if, if, if any of you have not sinned like this woman before me, then feel free to throw the first stone. And they all walk away. He's, and then he turns to her and says, go and, and, and don't follow in this life of sin any longer. So there's like this grace, truth, like this immense, amazing balance with this. But um, it's important to remember that grace didn't begin with Jesus, that grace isn't a New Testament idea. As much as it can seem like you read, if you've ever sat down and be like, I'm gonna read through the Bible in, in a year and I'm gonna start left to right like I do every book. And you start in the Old Testament and, and you aren't familiar necessarily with, or, you know, you, you, your, your experience with church and religion has been Sunday morning typically, and it's never kind of d d dove into this, into this depth before. You can come across some crazy stuff in, in the Old Testament to be like, I don't know who this God is. That's not, that, that's not the God that I know or whatever. Or then you go, you're trying to make sense of it. You go, oh, maybe he had like a midlife conversion. You know what I mean? Like the, you have Old Testament law and then you have New Testament grace. As in the New Testament starts, then grace showed up on the scene and then it started with Jesus. Um, and I don't think that that's true. Uh, th like this idea of a midlife conversion, like a dad who finally realizes that life is more than the pursuit of wealth and status at the ripe age of, I just looked at my retirement portfolio. It looks like we're gonna be just fine. And all of a sudden your dad who was so hard growing up and then all of a sudden softened. That's kind of how the perception oftentimes that we can take when we, when we look at a general 
brief overview of what the Bible presents to us as God. God was angry and then Jesus somehow softened him up a little bit or something like that. And that's not true. In fact, and, and it's right, it's, it's uh, not right, it's um, understandable that we would think in that way. In the second century, there was a bishop named Bishop Marcion um, who uh, was um, uh, one of the leading kind of thought and thought producers in that time. And he came up with this theory, this idea to reconcile a God of the Old Testament, a God of the New Testament as two different beings. So, so if, if you've ever kind of thought in this way, you're not the first one to ever think this. They were still wrestling with what do we do with Jesus and what do we do with God and what do we do with the Judaism as a religion in relation to Christianity. The church was dealing or trying to make sense of all of this from the beginning, almost from the beginning, 200 AD is when this comes out. He saw that the God of the Old Testament created the physical world or, or believed this. He said the God of the Old Testament created the physical world and introduced the law with this, this bent towards retribution, right? Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, whatever. This cruel and jealous lawgiver. And then the New Testament God was a compassionate and loving father who finally gives us Jesus. And then the church began to, like he writes this and debates this and presents this as an idea of trying to make sense. All he's trying to do is reconcile what we have with this. And then the church later, Athanasius would write a treatise against Marcion and, and then they would uh, call him the, 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 the her heretic or the Marcionite heresy, all that kind of stuff. So anyways, all that to say, if you've ever struggled with this, so did the early church. This is not a new problem. This has been an issue about what do we do with this? What do we do with a, 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 um, the appearance of grace showing up on the scene through Jesus as like this unique revelation of it? But it's not, it didn't start there and the grace isn't a New Testament idea. It goes much, much further back than that. The real story is that grace has been, uh, uh, that God has been a God of grace since the beginning. And a study of grace doesn't start with the gospel of Matthew. It starts further left, all the way back to what we would call the book of origins or the book of Genesis. Now, I've spoken on Genesis quite a bit, so this is gonna be a familiar story. And even if you didn't grow up in church, it's gonna be a familiar story anyways. But um, if the Old Testament were a movie, I tried to, tried to like, I've talked about the chronology of the Old Testament. Now, how uh, for us, when we read a story, we go left to right and like it starts in the beginning and you know, this is when so-and-so was born. This is where they went to college. This is what they did. That's how movies typically go or stories go. But the Old Testament reads differently. They wrote differently then. Um, and we have to read it differently as well. And uh, so for them, if the Old Testament was a movie, it wouldn't start in a garden. It would start with an enslaved people group being liberated from Egyptian slavery and then making their way and then experiencing the, the plagues, experiencing Moses leading them through the wilderness, experiencing um, like this image of, of a cloud by day and a, a pillar of fire by night, leading them out through the Sinai Peninsula, through the marshland and into this new promised land. That's how a movie about the Old Testament, if I was a director or a, a, a good storyteller who understands the way that story works for them, that's where it would start. Um, and then what they would do is they would be a people who saw some things they can't unsee. We saw plagues happen. We saw 400 years of structural slavery dismantled in a matter of months and then we saw the Red Sea collapse in on them. It split for us as we walked through and then it closed in on them. We are, we are dealing with something we don't know 
what it's, it, we have no idea who this is. It's a God of our ancestors. Yes, but what does that mean? There's been 400 years of slavery. A lot of those stories have been lost or they've been told, but they've kind of, it's like a game of telephone or they've been kind of mangled in the stories that we have. Who is it exactly that we're dealing with? That is the question that we get to. There's, so if, if this were a movie, it would start with all of that. And then there would be like that, like flashback scene. And then there would be like, like the sound that comes in and the edges of the screen are a little fuzzy to show you this is a memory, this is a look back, this is a story to help inform what it is that we're currently dealing with. The book of Genesis is exactly that, a story explaining for a group of people as they wrote it down, who exactly are we dealing with? What is the God, who or what exactly are we dealing with? As the story goes, right, around a campfire, that, that phrase is somebody sits down to begin to kind of explain a little bit about where we came from. They weren't looking for an explanation for how things came to be, as in where, what's our history and what was the timeline. It's not a science book. It's incorrect to read it as a, that, that first creation piece as a science text. The way to read it is them sitting around a campfire going, tell me a little bit more about the God of our ancestors. Well, as the legend goes, as the story goes, this is what takes place. As this was not as much uh, for how things came to be as much as they wanted to know who had delivered them and who they were being asked to follow. So with that in place and that framework of a story engaged, as the story goes, Genesis chapter one, verse three and four, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. Which if you're reading this, and critically, and trying to ask questions about this, there's a definition of quality there, right? That God said that the light was good. What does good mean? Or more importantly, good for whom? For him? He didn't have it, so he needed it. So he created it. Or is there something else going on here? He goes on to continue to create things, cre creating order out of chaos and keeps coming across this word good. And he saw it and he said it was good. And he saw that and he said it was good. The birds of the air, the fish in the sea, the separation of land from, uh, from, from, uh, from sky, from the, the, the distinction of day and night, the sun and the moon, and the stars, all of it is good. Yes, but good for whom, perfectly suited for whom. And then on day six, the creation of who it is good for, which would then cause, I would assume, some of them to question, what did we do to deserve this pristine abundance? And the answer is nothing, absolutely Nothing. From the standpoint of human experience, the creation of the universe and God's giving it to humanity in its perfect condition was the beginning of grace. That the story of God begins with undeserved grace. You didn't do enough to earn this. You didn't do anything to deserve this. And it's an over and abundance of this. There's more beauty in this world than any one person can fully comprehend. Greater abundance than any one person can consume. You can go your entire life and see some beautiful things. And there's always gonna be something that you missed. I think about that every time I leave someplace, that I've, it's someplace exotic. I'm like, I'll probably never be back here again, right? And I look at it and I'm like, Finley, I'll probably never be back here again. <laughs> If I play my cards right, right? There's like a few places you'd be like, if I play my cards right, I'll never be back here again, right? But, but the, the, the point of it is there are animals that you'll never see. There are people like, you have to go see this. And you're like, I probably never will. 
There, there, there's, there's places that you're gonna go. There's accounts that you follow on Instagram. They're always traveling. You're like, when do you work? How do you afford this? Um, how rich is your dad? All of these things that you look at and you'd be like, I'll never go there, but it's beautiful in these books and you get lost going on, you know, going down the rabbit hole of, uh, uh, of clicking on links and, 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 and watching all these exotic places. And you're trying to plan. You go, I only have so many trips in my life. Which ones am I gonna pick? And you know, in your, in, in, you know the core of your being, there's gonna be some beauty out there that you'll never see. And that's inspiring. That's like, that should, that should create a sense of awe and awareness of a, of a God who cares this much. It's unbelievable. That's the nature of grace. Grace is never just enough grace. It's always far more than enough. So even in the essence of creation itself, we get a picture of grace. Listen, guys, grace is not a New Testament idea. It didn't begin with Jesus. Grace has been a part of the story of God since the beginning. That's what they're trying to say as the story goes Grace was present early. It would be incorrect to assume the God of the Old Testament, angry, jealous, lawgiver, whatever, all this kind of stuff, and to miss the grace that's present in this. But it doesn't stop there. Genesis chapter two, verse 18. The Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. And then he creates woman and he gives them the best gift that you can be given. He gives them a reason to exist. It says this, so God created mankind in his own image and the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them, God blessed them. And he said to them this, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. He gives them a job. He gives them a purpose. He gives them a reason to exist. That's what you want desperately. That's what I want desperately. That's what this world is crying out for so often, a reason to exist. So what does he say? He says, go. The the actual words there are, have dominion over this world. Have dominion over this. Not like um, abuse it. Uh, Put anything in the wastewater that you want, right? Nuclear everything, yes, right? It's not the anti-destruction, it's, it's, but it, it is about, it's that feeling that comes when you've taken something and created order out of chaos. It's when the classroom looks the way that you want it and the students graduate knowing more than they did when they entered into your classroom. It's about you at the workplace taking chaos and order and creating a system that pre- presents and pre- pre- uh, produces results. It's about stepping away from your lawn and going, I did that, look at those edges, that was me. Look at those lines. Come here, kids. Look at these lines. What lines, dad? Come on. It's about feeling like I've got a reason to do something and I've got this. That, 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 and, and to have, uh, have the platform and have the opportunity to do that and carry that out, to have dominion over something and to feel like I'm in control of something, that is the reason to exist. Why do we do this? Why do we chase that? I mean, we say, oh, people are just drawn towards money sometimes. Yes, but at some point money gets to the spot where it's not like Elon Musk is like, what I need is a thousand more dollars. You know what I mean? He's not thinking that. It's about what is it? It's about something more. It's about conquering something. I just need to conquer something. I need to do something. I need to walk away from something and point to it and be like, that, that, that looks like that and operates like that because of me. And that can be abused and there can be a dark side to that, but there's something at the core of it that is so true. 
And that was the gift that was given to every single person implanted in our, in our DNA, in our human psyche about what it means to be human is to want to do something like that. And that is what they say, as the story goes, God gave each and every single one of us one of those things. There's some of that, a reason to exist. He didn't have to, he did it out of an abundance. He did it out of grace, out of grace. When God had the world just the way he wanted it, there was just one commandment. In the beginning, there was no guilt. In the beginning, there was no condemnation. In the beginning, the first two people never went to sleep at night wondering where they stood with God. In the beginning, God's expressions of grace were innumerable and his requirements requirements were minimal. And that might sound a lot different from the version of God that you were raised to believe in, which may look something like this. God's requirements are innumerable and his grace is minimal. But when everything was right in the world, when they would say, as, it, as the story goes, when things were perfect, his grace and his expressions of grace were innumerable. His requirements were minimal. But good for us, it doesn't even stop there. We know how the story goes. God completely trusts mankind with his creation. Every day, Adam and Eve chose whether or not they would be trustworthy with this responsibility. And for a while that they were, right? And we get the sense and we don't even know how long the story tells us it lasts. And then one day they weren't. And when anybody refuses to accept responsibility for their behavior, they often go looking for somebody to blame. Adam chose God and we kind of follow in his footsteps and do the same thing for us as well. Adam says, the woman you put here with me, she's the one. She goes, it's the snake and all this kind of, you know, we do the same thing. Whenever whenever the fingers pointed at us, we find somebody to blame and uh, do that. The accident, God, that you allowed to happen is the reason I, you know, whatever. The addiction you refuse to heal, the break you refuse to give me, all these kind of things. We keep blaming him in the same way. We walk in the same footsteps that Adam did so long ago. And how did great, or how did God respond to all of the blame and all of the shame? Unsurprisingly, given his track record, he responds with what? Grace. The story keeps showing up over and over again. He patiently listens as Adam and Eve try to shift blame back and forth to each other and then to uh, a snake and escape responsibility. And then he pronounces on them a series of curses. Kind of familiar ones uh, to the woman, childbirthing is gonna suck. Uh, To the man, working the ground is gonna suck. Genesis chapter three, verse 16 through 19. And at that point, you could say, I thought you said he responded in grace. This all sounds negative. To hear something, to have to have innumerable expressions of grace, to have, uh, and minimal rules. And then those rules get broken and then you respond with these curses. I thought you said, he's a God of grace. This sounds like a God who is not grace at all. Something to understand, to curse in Hebrews, to surround someone with obstacles, to rend someone powerless, to resist, to force somebody into a spot where you get them to where you want them to be, to curse them in that way. We think of curse sometimes as like, I'm, I'm cursing you, I'm putting a spell on you, but that's not how they understood it. It was to force them. It was to make them, we are gonna do this. Um, you know, uh, This is gonna be how you're gonna live. In this sense, every good parent has cursed his or her child from time to time. To every child, all discipline feels like a curse. This cursed crib, these cursed outlet plugs, this cursed time limit on my iPad. Why do they hate me? We don't hate you. That's discipline. I'm, I'm putting obstacles in your way so you don't continue to destroy yourself. And as a parent, it's my responsibility to do that. 
And when I do it, it comes across as ungraceful, but really it's the epitomization of grace. I love you too much to watch you continue to destroy yourself. So I'm gonna put obstacles in your way to prevent you from allowing yourself to do that. God responded to Adam and Eve's sin like good parents respond to their children. He disciplined them. He tried to teach them in the same way that you do this to your kids. I have 18 years to teach you that disobedience has consequences. You will realize this under my care or outside of my care. It will either be forced upon you by the law of the state of Washington or it will be under my care. I am doing my part out of love to show you and to have you leave this home knowing disobedience has consequences and obedience leads to freedom. His discipline is an expression of grace for them and grace for those who would follow and come after them. Every parent with multiple children eventually comes to the understanding of this. If you let an older child get away with creating chaos uh, in, in a house, it's an invitation to younger, younger siblings to follow suit, to allow an older sibling to get away with something and creating chaos in the home is to refuse to protect the other kids in the home for your sake and for the sake of the people who come after you. I must put on the, these curses. Thousands of years later, uh, an author of the Hebrew letter uh, to the church in the New Testament would, would kind of come right out and say exactly what he's saying here. The Lord disciplines those he loves. It doesn't feel like grace in the moment, but it is grace. This is the other side of grace. Here's the reality. Let's bring it back to my world. I have four kids from like six to 15. I don't discipline your kids I discipline my kids. I don't discipline other people's children. They're not my responsibility. I am the greatest threat to the children that I love the most. When they think, I hope dad doesn't find out what I did, they're only thinking of me. Do you realize that? There's nobody else that comes to their mind when they think that. I am also the only dad uh, that they run to when they're hurt and scared or in need. Soon as Adam and Eve are thrown out of the garden, he turns right around and gives them something they would need in this new world of shame, which was something to wear. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So he puts obstacles in their way and then he provides care for them beyond that. Why? Because he, he is a God of grace. From the very beginning, God has responded to the sin of humanity with amazing grace. So it's foolish for us to think grace is a New Testament idea. Grace begins with Jesus, a perfect expression of it, no doubt. But I think that the God of the Old Testament, I think the God of the Jewish scriptures, I think the God from the beginning has been a God of grace. We kind of get it all jumbled up and we write about it from our experience. And I imagine your, your children, you read memoirs of people who grew up in, in homes and they write about their experience of what it's like, right? And, and it's like, there's, there's two sides of every story. Some of that's probably true. And some of that's like, you didn't like the fact that I told you you had a curfew of 11 o'clock when all your friends had a curfew of 1 a.m. But I love you too much to allow you to be out past midnight. Nothing good happens after midnight. We know that as parents, right? So like there are expressions in which what they wrote about, which is what we have is a little bit jaded and a little bit God kind of coming at it. But it's, listen, the reality is, and the thing that we're gonna explore uh, for the rest of the series is what is grace? What does it mean for me? How do I deserve it? And where do expressions of God's grace continue to show up? We start from the beginning, we'll move forward, but not too fast. And that's gonna continue the conversation for next week. 
Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketricities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching East Lake Tri-Cities in your favorite app store.